Hey, two crew, thanks for tuning into this week's episode with world champion Josh Kerr. Just a reminder, if you like what we're doing here at Peak Too Early, please give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platforms you have downloaded on your phone, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Napster, LimeWire, whatever platforms you have, please go ahead and give us a great rating. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you want to stay up to date with what we're doing, when episodes come out, who we're interviewing, or if you want to connect with us, the best place to do that is on Instagram. So go ahead and give us a follow there if you're not already doing that. Anyways, enjoy the episode. It's a great one. This is Peak Too Early, presented by SAV Racing, featuring Mike Gendron, Trent Fontanella, and Steve Gendron. Hey everyone and welcome back to the greatest running podcast in the world, Peak Too Early. I am one of your hosts, Steve Jenner, and I'm joined by Mike Jenner, who's somewhere off the coast of Massachusetts. Mike, how you doing? Steve, I would assume like every other podcast in the world, we're here to talk about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift today. Is that, do I have that correct? I mean, you're taking my bell lap right now, but if we want to talk about it, we can get into it right now. We, I don't want to spend any time on this whatsoever. I just want to say... Like, isn't Taylor Swift like a noted, like famous Eagles fan? I believe so. I believe so. I mean, then I have a real problem with this. It's a problem. I I mean, if you if you go around, you know, sell being celebrated as an Eagles fan, and then you're you're dating a guy that you just lost to the Super Bowl, and I mean, I could never, I could never. Well, Steve, I famously predicted the absolute crumbling and downfall and debted the Philadelphia Eagles last year or sorry, the city of Philadelphia. So this is just another addition to another L to the city of Philadelphia. This is already like two more minutes than I expected. We'd actually talk about it after my, with with Trent gone from the the podcast, I thought, you know, we'd spend about 10 seconds and move on, but no, 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 this is some, this is good. I I mean, Back in the old days, Taylor Swift used to be a major part of this podcast. Huge, huge. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Taylor Swift was was a major celebrity star singer at the time. But in the time, probably since the last time we talked about Taylor Swift until now, she's become like the biggest celebrity in the world. Yeah, I wonder. It would actually be interesting at, at a later podcast. We should we should uh, give Trent a call just to get a, a Taylor Swift update. Cause I wonder how like the fame and fortune, what that's, what that's done to Trent if he's uh backed off of his Taylor love. Cause he was a, he's a, he's an old school Swifty. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got, we got to get him to call and he, he's busy wedding planning right now. But um, anyways, Mike, we're kind of, uh, we're, we're kind of burying the lead here. Uh, we have a massive podcast. Um, would you argue this is our biggest interview we've ever done? We've had, we've had some big ones, but I think like in terms of the timeliness of this one, I think it might be our biggest. Maybe timeliness. Maybe. I think. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I was going to say like newsworthiness, Shelby, maybe, but. Yeah, you know, those those dripped in a little bit of uh, of uh, maybe controversy is not the right word, but uh some people loved it. Some people hated it. I don't know one person. Though, maybe I I do know one person in the world who might hate this interview. But besides that, besides my our, my newly married man Jakob and Gabrinson, who 
okay. I, I don't I don't want to get into it to it too much, but his career might be officially over. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going. It's like who <laughs> like Josh? <laughs> hey, hey, women weaken legs. Right? That's, I mean, Steve. That's that's peak to early 101. That's it's the that's truth. Rocky Balboa. I mean, there's a region, there's a reason that, you know, we're going to get into it with our boy, Josh, and he's met the love of his life, but there's a reason he's staying engaged and not getting married until after his Olympic run. That's right. I I am told far too often that Jordan Spieth hasn't won a major championship since the day he got married. Hey, yeah, his career might be over. I haven't won a road race since I got married. That's mean. And I'm not kidding me either. I won a road race the month before I got married. And it's just been, it's just been, you know, it's been woman, a losing ever since. Woman weekend legs. Just, it's now, just I'm not saying, it I'm not saying it's a bad decision. You know what I mean? You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a happily married man, but you know, it's, uh, it, it's a fact, you know, you, you get slower as soon as you put on that, that, that ring. It just, it just happens, but it is actually hilarious that we teased a little portion of the interview there, but Josh specifically is putting off his wedding until after Paris 2024. Like, I mean, that's like the, the truth. First, it's like the first thing we talked about. In the yeah. <laughs> so we have, we have 1500 meters world champion, Josh Kerr on the podcast. And, you know, we're going to get into the interview shortly here, but I, I, we'll just start off by saying, uh, Josh is a longtime friend of the podcast. Uh, we interviewed him for the first time, I think, you know, over four years ago now, Mike, how, how long is the podcast? I, I think over four years ago, yeah. Over four years ago now. Um, and we've, I think we've had him on, we've had him on a couple of times since then. And he's somebody that we've stayed in contact with. And, um, you know, we talked about it before worlds, like Josh is our guy, you know, Josh is somebody that we, we cheer for as if it's like, you know, a, a Boston sports team. I know we compare, you know, our sport to how we feel about Boston sports teams, but really that's kind of what, you know, kind of what we want to make the sport. And one of the reasons for this, this podcast is we want to cheer for our sport, the way we cheer for other sports and be that passionate. And that's kind of how we felt about, uh, feel about Josh every time we get to watch him race. And the dude just comes home with an unbelievable upset world championship. And, you know, we were just kind of messaging him, congratulating him after the fact. And he brought up the fact that he wanted to come on and do an interview or, you know, he, he said he was kind of making time for the people that, uh, believed in him, you know, long before this was a, this, this dream was ever a reality. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, he talks about in the interview, that was pretty cool to hear, but Mike, you know, I think when we, when we started this podcast over four years ago now to think that, you know, I mean, we we've settled into the point in this podcast where we just do it for fun and we're happy with that. And we're satisfied with that. We want to keep it going. We want to keep it going for all the two crew and all the listeners out there. Um, But if I told you over four years ago that we'd be in a position where shortly after somebody walks away with a 1500 meter world championship, they want to make it a priority come on our podcast. That's, that's pretty cool. So I think, I think that's a huge win. I I will take that over, you know, hundreds of thousands of listens or likes or fall. It's like, that's, that's what we wanted to create, right. An environment where it's like, we got a great relationship with, with some of these athletes and, and uh, these athletes like coming on to talk to us. And, and I will say, it's like, we weren't Josh's first interview and he's done, you know, you know, not surprisingly a, a handful of media since the win. But I think 
what you'll see is a little bit of a different tone, right? It's like, and that's what we want to create. It's like we're we're hanging with the boys, just talking talking about the race instead of uh, you know a stuffy media interview. I, I think this was just forty five minutes with us hanging hanging with our guy Josh. I think that's the perfect intro. Let's uh, hey, let's uh, let's get into it, Mike. Look at this round the bend. Inga Britson fighting to hold the inside line against the Olympic bronze medalist Josh Kerr. And Kerr's putting the brilliant Norwegian under pressure. Inga Britson's not used to these positions. This would be an incredible upset. And it's going to happen again. Josh Kerr with a performance of his lifetime. Inga Britson loses again. Favourites don't always win. Because these are the moments that inspire greatness from everyone else. And just as Jake Whiteman did 12 months ago, Kerr has followed in his footsteps. Josh Kerr with an incredible performance of heart, belief and dedication. The champ is here. Hello. What's up, man? What's up, <laughs> What's up man? What a ridiculous idea this is. <laughs> I know. I was just saying to Steve, I was like, I'm assuming he must be like, you know, back home overseas or something like that. No, you're just you're just waking up with the boys at 5 a.m., huh? Yeah. Well, no. So I I, first of all, it was kind of my idea of how that's why I like how ridiculous it is. Uh, So I firstly, I want to apologize for that. But yeah, no, I've been getting up at like four because my missus starts work at like five ish. And um if I want to use the car here in Miami, I have to drive her to work. And I'm doing, I'm a, I'm a low life right now. I'm doing nothing. You know, <laughs> I want to go and play golf. And so I need the car. So <laughs> I, I go and drop her off. And so that she can, yeah, she has long shifts in the hospital right now. So yeah, I'm, I, I've been up for like an hour and a half. I'm attacking the day, but I do nothing. So I'm quite enjoying chatting up with the boys. No, this is great. No, we, um, when I was actually pretty pumped when you said that you get up at four, just because like this is part of my well, I'm I'm up this early regularly now, just with the kids and everything, and um this this fits right into my uh my my day perfectly, so this works out well. And Mike's the same. Mike's got a little one too. Oh, amazing! That's so cool. Well, that's the best part about getting up early. It's just telling people that you get up early as well. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's the majority of the reason that I do it. Well, so, I I also like that, like you know a world champ is like yeah no my routine is i get up at four in the morning people are probably thinking you know he's getting up he's banging out runs at four in the morning getting getting his core done at four in the morning nah, <laughs> he's just just gotta get his girlfriend to work so that he can yeah. uh, play golf in the morning <laughs> that's that's where i'm at at the moment it's it's pretty dark and it stays dark for a while that's what's tough and i was telling that to Lama. i was like you know what's rough about getting up this early there's nothing's open like i can't go to a shop or a store but the driving range is open, so that's that's the best I can get right now. Nice. And so you're just you're just down and uh, hanging out in Miami right now. Yeah. So um, Lama moved here in June, I think, or yeah, late June. Um, she's got a year here for her first year of residency. Um, so she's a dermatologist. So she's doing her first year here, and then three years in New Mexico. So um, she has a really nice apartment here, and I, I couldn't think of anywhere better to spend a couple of weeks off than uh than here so it's fort lauderdale which is like half an hour up the road from miami so yeah yeah nice well you could go to the casino i'm sure the hard rock's open 
Oh, that's a phenomenal idea. Actually, I did not think for that. That's a dangerous idea is what that is. You're going to see some characters at 5 a.m. in the Hard Rock Casino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so uh, you're engaged, right? That's correct, yeah. Do you have any wedding plans yet or is it too early for that? Uh, no, we've been engaged for a couple of years now. Uh, we're going to get married after the Olympics. It's kind of been one of those things where it's like, oh, we like I've got worlds and she's like, you know, finishing med school. And then it was like, oh, the Olympics is next year. This seems like quite a rash decision to do it this year. <laughs> and then uh, so we decided to do it. We decided to do it next year. So I think it's going to be just after the season's done next year. Nice. Well, congratulations on that. And also congratulations on a friggin world championship josh we are so pumped for you this is it's it's unbelievable i mean we're gonna get into the race we have a we have a whole bunch of questions for you but i just want to start off by saying congratulations man like this is it's absolutely incredible i really appreciate it i think you know this is my favorite part about that whole process is like coming back and chatting to the people who gave me the time of day when i was just being like this big headed like not underachieved to be the confident as confident as I was but like hadn't achieved anywhere near what I needed to and then like just spending time with family and friends and stuff of people being like damn like you did it like that's and it's so fun to like share those like small moments with people and like you know I think I was on your podcast the first time in 2019 I want to say it was the fall of 2019 and um you know, I was, I'm sure I was being as, as idiotic as ever. And, you know, I was a young buck back in those days, but um, yeah, I think, you know, you guys are always, always believing me, always giving me, always giving me the confidence to just keep going out and smashing it. So I'm very happy to be on and, and chat with you guys. I got to give uh, I got to give props to my brother, Mike here real quick. Cause um, back in 2019, it was after our first interview, we were actually hanging out in, uh, in Atlanta at a at a bar after the uh the the olympic trials there and uh you know we had ourselves a day we had fun and we had been you know indulging in a few beverages and and kind of you know uh you know talking and saying some big things but our uh our producer at the time back when we had a producer and cameraman had nothing he he he, he wasn't a he wasn't a runner he wasn't a track athlete and he had very little knowledge of the sport and we, I remember at that bar at like one o'clock in the morning and Mike was kind of giving our producer Pat the rundown of like all the Brooks athletes there at the time. And then I'll never forget, Mike turned to him and he said, okay, and Josh, I think Josh is going to walk away with gold one day. So um, Mike called it back in 2019, said, said Josh Kerr is going to be a gold medalist. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I said, I mean, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, just watching your race or if it was the 17 Miller lights I'd had that day, but, uh, but, but either way, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that, Steve. I definitely called it. <laughs> the truth always comes out when the Miller lights come. You know, come <laughs> right. Of course. Um, I, I gotta be honest, Steve threw me off a little bit here. All my questions that I wrote were uh, about the fifth Avenue mile. So <laughs> I gotta, I guess I gotta <laughs> just, just, just wing it here. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess on a serious note, like what, what is it like getting back on a starting line after you've achieved world championship, right? It's like, yeah, obviously you get to the fifth Avenue mile. It's kind of a fun race. It's not uh, the one that you've been prepping for, but it's like, you must have a, a different air about you. You must feel like, all right, who's going to beat me today? Not that you didn't already feel that way before, but now you got the goal to prove it. So it must feel a little bit different. It, it, it was a completely 
it was a wild experience from like as soon as I crossed the finish line at Worlds, like my whole like life had changed. And but I had this plan in mind for my still my season goals. And so it was quite difficult to balance enjoying the moment for what it was and like everything that came with that. And that was like, I mean, I had so much media to do the next day and it was super draining. And I was almost like, I've never, I'm never like someone that gets super anxious about anything. Um, but like after all the interviews and stuff and like, you know, obviously we're in Budapest, everyone who's going to the stadium had been in the stadium pretty much all week. So whenever I was at the stadium doing my BBC stuff, like I was getting like I was getting stopped like every five seconds and like taking like hundreds of photos. And I was just like, I was on edge, man. I was like, I need to get out of here, man. Like I I, I didn't know like it, it was a complete like world changer. And so to stay on the path of being like, okay, I want to run Zurich and then I want like I want to run Fifth Ave. And then like if I still got the energy and we want to go for something, like we'll do pre. And it was hard. It was like Everyone, there was a lot more people around me were telling me you should you should not do these than like oh yeah let's just keep going because it was so mentally draining like um but I was able to go home after Zurich um for like five six days and spend time with some family and go back to my like childhood home and that made a big difference like just being able to reset with them but yeah I think overall like I I'm gonna go in I'm gonna compete I have you know, I don't want to lose, um, but I'm not scared to lose. This is the thing. It's like, I think there's a big difference. It's like, everyone was like, oh, like, you don't want to, like, you can't lose. I was like, I can lose. Like, it's okay. Like, I won the thing that I was supposed to win this year. And like, it's okay if I lose like Zurich. And I felt that pretty hard with 800 to go at Zurich. I was like, fuck, I do not want to be here. <laughs> um, but it, I'm not scared to go out and compete. That's like a thing that... Um, I think some people like you're like, oh, you know, Ingebrigtsen, he's he's like he's unbeatable. Like he's so like he hasn't been beaten all year in the world championships. I was like, I guarantee you he'd rather be second in most of those fucking races and win the world championships. Mm-hmm. That's that's just the way that I approach things. It's like I'm gonna go in. If I feel like I'm ready to go, I'm gonna go in and race. And um fifth out was just fun though. Like and I do think there's a different like there's a different vibe around when I race now where, you know almost like everyone around you including all the people in the meet and the meet directors and stuff it was the same in Zurich it's like like they were really happy for me to be there and that makes a big difference versus like before it was like trying to trying to get into races trying to see if we can get a little like appearance fee and stuff and um but everyone's been so amazing but yeah fifth that was just fifth that was so fun and I remember having a lot of conversations with Danny beforehand and he was like, we were chatting about all these fun stuff that, you know, we're going to try and do in the fall and like um, how, you know, how we're working with Brooks and stuff. And he was just like, oh, and just don't fucking lose tomorrow. That would help. And I was like, <laughs> I fully understand. I, I fully understand. I was just excited to race with that because it didn't go the way that I wanted to last year. Listen, I feel like Danny's a uh, he's, he's a player's coach, but at the same at the same time, he's a coach, right? Telling you, you got to go win the damn race. <laughs> I know that's it, it, it simplifies as much as that in our sport. It's like what you can talk about all these small interest, intricacies of like contract stuff and like, you know, how much your appearance fee is and like, like all these external sponsors. But then it's just like, oh, go, go and keep fucking winning races. Like that's where we start. You know, that's the core of everything. 
And uh, I remember we were having a long conversation about all that other stuff. And uh, he's just like, don't fucking lose tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. That's a fair judgment <laughs> call. Just because, you know, that's where, like, that's where it all stems from. You don't want to be the guy that won Worlds and then got dipped to Zurich and then fucking lost fifth out. That would have sucked. <laughs> Well, I, I think I think you you kind of touch on a on an interesting point where, you know, I I think it should actually be talked about more in the sport because I think it might make it better for the athletes in the wrong. And I don't necessarily want you to talk numbers, but coming home with this this world championship, what does this do for you in terms of like your financial outlook in your career? Does it? Because I mean, everybody has a certain like a finite amount of time where they can you know make money off of this sport. And when you're in it, you've been in it for for a few years like you, you kind of have an idea of like where you can go with it and about how much you you know you can make and what your career is going to look like. Does something like this drastically change that or does it just kind of increase your appearance fees a little bit, maybe get you some extra bonuses for coming with the win? Um, does it like or does it change your your kind of career going forward? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And, you know, I'll dance around it a little bit um, with the Brooks stuff, but in terms of IWF, like, you know, it's like 70,000 or something for, for the win at Worlds, which is super low um, for like winning a World Championships. But that, you know, it is what it is. Um, and, you know, I've, with the Brooks stuff, it it does, it does change my financial situation for sure. And, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to still be um, on my first Brooks contract. Uh, like I, I haven't re-signed a contract with Brooks yet. Um, and I was able to sign a long one out of college. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it just, to be honest, what it gives for me and, you know, if, if I was to renegotiate or, you know, you know, hypothetically, if I was to renegotiate a contract right now without a sponsor, it just shows longevity. Um, to be honest, like you can go out and win a world championship out of like, or you go out and win NCAAs and run an NCAA record, you could be worth a lot of money. And, you know, companies will come in and and throw a good amount of money at you. And it's kind of crazy sometimes. But someone like Caitlin Tui, for example, like who has been so consistent for so long, um, she has great personality, um, she's great on social media, and she just consistently performs. That's That's kind of where I'm headed in terms of like the consistency where that's where my value is. Um, and so companies can have more faith and can give more money because it's like, well, you know, he's not a one year, couple year kind of wonder kid and maybe he's going to get injured kind of thing. And so it's just been this slow, slow kind of transition through my through my contract with Brooks of like, you know, I've shown that I can get through, uh, you know, seasons without injuries. I can show that I'm not going to miss a world final or an Olympic final. I'm going to come out way, come away with medals and big moments. And so it does, it does, that's kind of what I can bring to the table now. Um, but yeah, I did hit a couple of good rollovers. I will say that. Um, and so I'm happy about that. Yeah. And Brooks it's, is a good company to do that with. I mean, I, I was, uh, I, I'm no longer with Brooks. I was with Brooks for almost a, a decade. I took a different, op- different opportunity a couple of years ago. Um, but I feel like Brooks is a is a company where um, if you can show consistency, they want you part of the family for a really long time. Yeah, I think that's a, that's my favorite part about it is um, just knowing that it's a mutual respect between us. And when I signed my contract initially, they were like, you know, if you like grow this contract, we can renegotiate it um, at, at any point. And that was kind of a cool thing. And I was like, oh, OK, like, you know, let's go and let's go and prove them right. Let's go and prove them because the way that they um, were 
like initially presented my contract that always ended in, you know, Paris Olympic, you know, Olympic man, Olympic gold. Um, and I was like, you know, I think I could get, I think I could get medals before that. And um, that was my, always my goal was like to prove them right. But also to, to like stay on that path of, you know, can I, can I get better before that? Can I, can I, you know, be worth this money that they're paying me? Cause that's the, that's the big thing is, you know, I've got to be worth the money they're paying me. If the quarterly payment's coming out and they're like, oh, we're still paying this guy this much, like, damn, <laughs> that sucks. But um, if I'm able to, you know, showcase the product for for how good it is and showcase the team and the brand for how authentic and hardworking and down to earth that they are, then like that's that's kind of me doing doing my job. It It's interesting talking about stuff and we won't harp on too much longer but it, it kind of puts it into perspective i don't know if you've been following the uh noah lyle's stuff with the with the nba players but uh you know hearing you say world championship you take home whatever a seventy thousand dollar bonus like for for an nba player that's like a single game incentive it's a for those guys yeah and it's like it, it kind of puts in perspective and it almost makes it like laughable, like that whole thing that's going on there. Cause it's like, you are a world champ. Noel Isles is a two time, no champ. And it's like the, the fact that he's crying out for, for a little bit of recognition and maybe a little bit more than a, a $70,000 uh, bonus check. It, it kind of makes a little sense, I guess. It does. It really does. And I, it doesn't like having that low of a bonus definitely doesn't help fans come in and be like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> like, you know, obviously Noah's you know, was probably paid millions after, uh, after worlds with all of his bonuses and like all of his different sponsors and stuff. And it was, but we don't get to see that because we all, we all sign NDAs in our contracts. And, um, but that's the kind of behind the scenes money that's part of it. But right now, like the world can see that, you know, we made 70 grand. And and I'm sure, like, you know, especially for me as well, like I'll pay some of that out to to staff um, and percentages for for agents and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's not it, that that number is definitely not life changing. I'll tell you that. So that sucks. <laughs> well, hey, enough enough uh, uh, financial talk. It was uh, you know something I think a lot of people were curious, and I and I appreciate your honesty with that. Um, so I I, uh, I I listened to your episode of Sit and Kick with uh, with Dave, and I encourage everybody to, when you're done listening to this, go ahead and listen to uh, Sit and Kick. And I want this to kind of be a compliment to that. I don't want to I don't want to repeat the same questions, but I think um, Dave did a pretty good job of kind of expressing, um, you know, how your fans and how people feel about this win. And he he talked about how a lot of people. Um, are probably living vicariously through you in 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 this world championship, and um, I think there's like a couple of reasons for that. The, the first is the most obvious: you're you're a big underdog, um, according to Vegas, fifty to one. Thank you very much, by the way. I owe you a couple beers next time I see you. Um, so you're a big you're a big underdog. Um, but then the other thing, you know, I think that a little bit more of an intangible piece was your belief and and kind of confidence you had this it wasn't an arrogant confidence it was like a quiet confidence that you had in yourself and a belief in yourself that this race is up is up for grabs it wasn't let's just you know let's let's just kind of roll out the red carpet and fight for silver against Jakob it's like 
I'm, you know, I can, I can beat this guy. And I think a lot of people resonated with that. And you can't just be confident. You can't just believe in yourself. There's, there's the, an infinite amount of work and preparation that go into it, but it is the final piece, right? It is that final kind of mental piece that you need to put the puzzle together. And my question for you is, is there something you do to work on that confidence or was there something specific that you did um, in, in the buildup for this world championship? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it, I've always known I was going to be the best in the world at something. And, and people, you know, when I say that to people that don't feel that way or have never felt that way or have never been around people that have done it, you know, they take that as arrogance or they take that as like, you don't know, like, it's difficult to explain, but like I, I knew I was going to win a world championships or Olympic games. I knew it. Like, it was just like, you know, the way like you have this feeling, like maybe when you, you know, you meet your wife the first time you're like, damn, we're going to get married one day or like something along those lines. It was just like an innate feeling for me of like, I'm going to be the best in the world. I just need to put it together. Like, I just need to have, like, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to just go to his first world championships and win. Like, it's not going to be as easy as that. There's going to be a path, but I've won at every level. You know, I, I've said this before, like, you know, I went in and the East Districts cross-country stuff, like, I won that. Like, and then I took on Scottish championships and I won that. And then I went to British championships and it took a couple of years, but then I won that. Went to European juniors, like, I went and won that went to um, the US and it took a couple of years, but I, I won the NCAA championships. And then I kind of stepped into this world and I was like, okay, like, how am I going to win? And it took time. It took a lot of time. And, you know, I'm five, five and a half years into, into being a professional. And I just kind of told myself, I was like, if not now, when? Because I had the best prep, I had um, mentally, I was so ready to just go in and like compete. That's all it was. It's like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to compete. And I think that's what made my cheering section most nervous. Like I had met up with um, like family and, and um, uh, my guy, Jaron from Oakley's that day. And um, spoken to Danny and Julian and uh, like everyone that was really there. And uh, I was just like, I'm already settled with the result. Like I already, I'm already happy with what I'm going to produce today. And they were kind of like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you know, I've done everything. I've, uh, you know, I've done, I've done the hard stuff. I've been getting up early and I've been putting the work in and I've been going to like going to sleep early, getting the right sleep. I've been, I've been in the ice baths. I've been doing like doing the meditations. I've mentally prepared for every single possibility that could happen. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to paint with that paintbrush. And whatever the result is, I'm going to be proud of myself because it's the best I can do in the day. And it's been a tough realization over the last couple of years of like, there's going to be people on that start line that don't do it right, that don't do the sport in the way that it's written to be done. You know, people will be cut corners and all this stuff. And I can't do anything about that. There's no, there's nothing in my, you know, in, in my plethora of tools that I can be like, Oh, this person is cheating. This person isn't like, it's not my job. And so I've just come to the realization that I'm going to go in there. I'm going to give it my best and whatever that result is, I'm going to be happy with. And so that's why I said to everyone, I said, listen, I think I'm ready to win a world championships and I'm going to go in with the attitude and I'm going to go in and race that way. But if I come out in second or I came, came out in fourth, like I'm okay with it because there's nothing else I could have done 
and so yeah when i was speaking to my fiance she she was saying when she was sitting in the stadium she was like yeah if he doesn't win this one I, i'm not sure he's gonna win one because like he's so ready to do it and um and so yeah that was just like the way that the way that i work and also i just to, to go back to your question like i sacrifice a lot and so that's how i kind of mentally prepare for these moments is like what sacrifice can i take in this kind of build up uh, eight weeks going into the world championship specifically to make me feel like i'm ready to go on that day and it's just like you know it's just a structure and it's when you get into those hard moments you're like okay have i been in a harder moment in this last eight weeks yeah yeah i have and so i'm ready to go and then the confidence part is just yeah the the build up of that and knowing that um i can change my life i can change my life for the better i can change my life for my for you know my fiance and for my family and and uh, for myself as well like you know it's been it's been a long journey and this is my job and and i'm proud of myself and it was just like this opportunity is there and i don't think you're better than me like i really really deep down don't think you're a better athlete than me and uh, especially on today like today's my fucking day and you know that was that was my approach to the day and that's just kind of always how i'm probably going to approach races nowadays yeah no, that's, that's one that's, of sorry mike i got to cut you no, off that is one of the more interesting things i've heard in terms of like it's probably the only sport where you can get away with it um, or the only sport you can approach like that final competition, that final championship at that way, if you've done the work, right? Cause this sport is all about preparation, the sacrifices, everything you do to get there. And yes, on the day, there is, there is a degree of tactical um, play that needs to go on, on, on the track. But if you've done the work and you believe that the work is enough, turning yourself over to that day, turning yourself over to the race and allowing it to just happen. That's a pretty interesting, that's, that's, that's a, that's a, it's a very different way I've ever thought about this sport, but it makes sense to me. And it's probably the only sport you can do that in. Yeah. You know, when you teach your body to do something every day, day in, day out, and you know, I, I knew exactly when I was going to make moves. I knew exactly, you know, what was really going to happen. I had lots of different plans, but I was like, you know, Abel's going to go out and then yeah, I was going to take it on. And then I'm going to move up from six to seven. I'll be on the shoulder before I go. And then like, if I have it on the day, I have it on the day. And if I don't, I don't like, but like, that's the way I'm going to race it. And like, everyone needs to be okay with that. And, uh, you know, I'm going to race to try and win this, this thing. And, and, uh, if that means I'm fourth and, you know, so be it, but there's not going to be many other opportunities where I'm going to be this fit, put this much work in and be ready to to come away with a gold medal than, than today. And I'm never going to give the opportunity up. Yeah. All right. Here's a stupid question. When, uh, when you win the world championships the year before the Olympics, especially in this case where, you know, it's your first and you take down Jakob, does it does it make it harder at the at Paris in 2024? And I guess my point is, is now there's expectations, right? You went from being kind of the the underdog who was right there, who people thought, oh, you know, maybe 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 you could get him, but I don't I don't know. Now it's like okay, heavy is the head, right? Like you are the guy. Everyone, you know, they're gonna be when when I'm watching the Olympics in 2024. And, you know, you guys are coming onto the track. They'll be showing the replay of this race and they'll be talking about Josh versus Jakob. And I know there'll be other people there, but that will be the conversation, right? So 
does that change anything for you? Does the expectation change anything for you? And is is it now harder to to go win in in Paris? It's a it's a fun question because to be honest, I don't think anyone's going to put more pressure on themselves than me yeah. uh, or, or on me than me. And, you know, I've wanted to win Paris and I've, you know, I've been scheduled to try and win a gold medal at Paris since I was like 10 years old. And so if I hadn't, if I hadn't won this year, I was still going to be under probably the same amount of pressure because it was my internal pressure of like, this is the one you've been wanting to get for like a long, long time. And so not really, if anything, it's just giving me validation that I can do it. Um, because it's so difficult, like, you know, even getting through the rants is really like, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to reset the whole, the whole, you know, the whole game. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm back down at the bottom of the mountain. I'm going to have to get through the fall, hopefully injury free. Then I got through the indoor season again, hopefully injury free, put the work in, run a shit 5k and then just work my way down to an eight and then get, get through some 15s and then get through the trials in the UK is going to be difficult. And then three rounds of the 15 at the Olympics. So it's a lot, it's a lot when I sit here thinking about it. Um, when, you know, I'm, I'm a week into my break with one week to go. It's, but it's just kind of what we get paid to do. It's like, that's just the job. It's another day in the office for me. And, um, I, yeah, again, I think it's very fun to have the spotlight on me in terms of financially, it makes a difference. Um, but, you know, I know how difficult it is to win again. You know, Jakob won the Olympics, but he didn't win the world championships next year, didn't win the world championships this year. And so, but he is the, he's going to be in as the Olympic champion. So I do think it's, it's one of those things where the target's on the back, but I'm still not going to change the way that I am. I'm not going to try and be someone that I'm not. I'm not going to try and be the guy that goes out and wins six diamond leagues and then goes into the the championships from there. It's just not who I am. I'm going to progress through the year and, you know, I'm going to be ready to go when it comes to the Olympic final. And that's why people are scared of me is like, they can beat me all year, but they're not going to beat me at the world championships or the Olympics. And um, back to my initial point was, you know, if I won, back in 2017 in my first world championships, I can guarantee you that the, the next world championships or Olympics, I'd have been like, damn, I'm so nervous. Like I, I'm not ready for this. I've been thrown into the deep end here, but I've just been slowly swimming out from the shallow end all the way to the deep end. And I'm just, I'm going to be there hovering for a while. My, 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 uh, the, the, the most important thing my college coach ever told me, he says the the best compliment and i've said this on the podcast before the best compliment you can pay a runner is that they ran their best when it mattered the most and that's what you've done before that's what you did this season um and so yeah i think that uh that strategy of not necessarily getting sucked into the hype of the the diamond leagues or the time trials or uh record chasing but just focusing on like what's the ultimate goal the ultimate goal is to come home with championships um and i love that mindset it's a hard mindset to have, and it's not really the mindset that a lot of people have in our sport because, you know, there are the shiny objects. The Diamond League is a shiny object that's like, oh, that's fun. Like, you get paid good money to go there, and, and it's a really good experience. They take care of their athletes really well, especially in Europe as, as well. Like, the, the meets are so um, – the, the crowd is so awesome, and, like, it's always packed out stadiums. And uh, yeah, so it's difficult to turn those down, especially when, you know, some of the numbers come your way, you're like, damn, like, and I, I fell into that trap a little bit in 20, uh, 2022. I think that's why 
I had a struggling uh, world championships in one of my, not my worst performances, but it was not a performance I was massively proud of uh, in 2022. And it was just like, you know, I went after records indoors. I went to the Diamond Leagues that didn't fit my schedule um, because of appearance fees. And then I came away with a, a disappointing world championships. And then you you flip it the opposite in 2023. I go to the Diamond Leagues that don't pay me as much. I didn't run well at them. And then I come out with a world championship gold. So it's it's getting the balance right, for sure. I, I don't think we have like, this is the right thing to do. This is the wrong thing to do. We definitely made mistakes this year, but and, and next year will look a little bit different. But I do think that sticking to the plan of working back from the world championships, what helps, what help, what will help that day? And it's going to be the same next year. What's going to help the day of the Olympic Games final? And uh, if it doesn't help that day, then we're not going to do it. So, um, Mike, can I, can I squeeze in a question here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just because I want to, we've talked to, you know, you talked a lot of, uh, you know, nerdy running talk and a lot of good running talk, but uh, I want to bring it, I want to bring the interview back a, a second here. Um, what's your relationship like with Jakob? That Steve, that was my exact question. <laughs> I was just about to ask, so. so I'm glad you stole it. You know what it is, is I think he is so good for the 1500. Like, I think, you know, obviously it's a premier event. Um, people enjoy watching it. Everyone understands the distance in terms of people from the outside looking in and even the fans, like, you know, I think it's a fun distance to watch, especially nowadays where it's never really that tactical. It's just kind of gun to tape. But what I will say is I think he is under a lot of pressure from himself, from sponsors and from media. And so whenever you see him in like media you know, you're seeing them right after races. And so I do think emotions are quite high. Um, but, it's, you know, I don't think he's very good at losing is my initial thing. Uh, and I think that's something he could definitely work on. Um, if we were to work on our relationship, he could definitely lose better um, because he will continue to lose in his career. I'm not saying that as like, oh, you're going to lose to me, but you will continue to lose. It's just a reality. Um, and I think there needs to be an element of respect when it comes to to losing. But like behind the scenes, like it's it's funny. Um, you know, we myself, Nordas, and him obviously are getting our medals, and he comes really late, and so he didn't get on the same golf cart as us. Um, and uh, you know, Nordas was was finding that rather funny because he just didn't want to sit with us, which is understandable. Like <laughs> the guy just dislikes both of us pretty hard, and then he arrives and. It's just us two. And so he's standing there and he's like trying to decide who he was going to talk to. And so he decided to talk to me. I yeah. was the, the better of two evils there. And, uh, you know, we were just we were just giving a general chat. And we've had the funny thing is, is he was talking a lot of shit about me back in 2022 in interviews and stuff. And then I was in San Maritz afterwards, like before Comedy Games and like Diamond League stuff. And he came over and, and we chat for a while. And, you know, even this year in summer, he like watched one of my sessions, like weirdly. He was there to do strides, I think. Um, but he was just watching everything I was doing, which is fair. And, uh, and, and we get along when it comes to like general chit chat. But like I watched some of these interviews and I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like, why <laughs> do you have to be like this? Like, and it, my biggest thing was like how disrespectful he was to Whiteman last year saying that like, he, you know, he was he was a, a worse athlete or whatever it was. Like, I was like, come on, man. This is a huge moment for Whiteman. Like, you know, as it was for me this year. It's like, don't take that away from someone. That's not your moment to take away from someone. 
Um, and that's always kind of been my thought process with whenever I cross the line, if it was first or last, like never take the moment, the biggest moment of someone's life away from them. Um, but yeah, no, we have a lot of things to work on in, in me and Yako's relationship, I would say. <laughs> The, the uh the golf cart story you told on uh on sit and kick and uh uh i i was getting kicked out of somebody from uh nordass's camp that was asking the, the 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 people you know organizing it if if they had a separate podium for biaco yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was funny i think it's i'm guessing it's nordass's brother some sort of relative because they look the exact same and he was just like hey can you can you phone Jakob? because obviously they're from the same country can you phone Jakob and see where he is? And the guy's like, no. And he was like, he turned to Nordash. He's like, can you phone him? And he's like, do you think I have his number? And do you think he's going to pick up? And he's <laughs> like, I was sitting there like, this is quality. I was like, I don't have his number either. Just to throw that out of there. <laughs> I just don't have it. So. Steve, Steve and I were talking uh, the last time we recorded about how, you know, the, the antics and like the shit talk and all that stuff from a fan's perspective, right? It works when he's winning right when when he's on top of the world and nobody can beat him it's entertaining as hell and like what are you gonna say right when he goes out there and and is beating everybody but for me it was um he's coming off fresh off the loss to you and now that's two major championships that he's lost in a row and he goes right back to it and he was giving my guy yared nagus a hard time on the pregame interview, I'm like, are you kidding me? You're picking on poor little Nagoose? Like, what, what is this all about? And that kind of changed my perspective a little bit. It's like, this guy, this guy has no off switch. Like, he win, lose, or draw. Like, he's going out there, and he doesn't care. He's going to talk shit right to your face. And But what I did say is, if that was Josh on the, the stage next to him, I was like, there's no way he says that. Maybe he does. Maybe I don't know him well enough, but it was like, I was like, it felt like he was picking on Yared and then he did go out there and beat him. So it's whatever it is, what it is, but I I don't know. It's like, yeah, that shouldn't, that shouldn't give, uh, you know, I, I, people have different opinions on it. People are like, Oh, we need more shit talking in the sport, all this stuff. But like Mm -hmm. you said, you know, Yared is just catching strays out here. You know, (laughs) he was sitting there like, you know, I I want to have a good race, but you know, I have to worry about pacing all this stuff. And like, it's just, it was just almost rude. And, yeah. and, and, you know, it, you know, I do think if I was sitting there, he would not have said that to me. And he knows he wouldn't have said it to me because I would have looked back at him and fucking gave him some. <laughs> but like, that's what the buildup of this next kind of like when we're going to go head to head again is going to be like. And that's fine. But the issue is when he's not winning, he needs to still make headlines because he's getting paid, I'm sure, a lot of money. And so, and it comes with the territory a little bit with the confidence too, of like, you know, if something, you know, when I'm at my worst, I'm at my cockiest and um, loudest. Like it was this 2022, I came into that championships off a 147, 800. And like, I was getting through the rounds. I was like, I have no idea how I'm getting through these rounds. And I was having a blast, like, uh, and talking complete shit in my interviews. But this year was different. I came in super fit and I was quiet and I just got through the rounds and I just did my job in the final. But that's the way he is sometimes as well. It's like when things are going wrong, he's at his loudest. And like, you know, I know he doesn't care about the 5K. And there's a reason you don't care about the 5K is because less people care about it. Less people Mm -hmm. watch it. And um, he's a big attention whore. So like we all are. Um, And so he wants to win the 15 because it's a premier event. 
and he didn't win it. And there's nothing he can do about that now. There's zero things he can do. He is not 2022 world champion. He's not 2023 world champion. And I genuinely don't believe he's going to be 2024 Olympic champion. I think he's going to have a hard time being a medalist. And it's just the reality of how difficult 1500 is right now. It just is. Especially if he goes into the next year the same way he went into this year. For sure. Yeah. And I think that um, you, you had that, uh, that interview with, uh, with Sidious Mag after the race and um, the, the clip kind of went viral of you just kind of your, your insightful take on, on kind of his celebrations and the, in the rounds and how it came from a place of insecurity. And I think it, it resonated with a lot of runners. It kind of like they, you know, for me personally, I've thought about times if you've had any level of, of success in the sport times where I've been in a race and I knew I wasn't like 100% prepared for it. I was like more cocky. I, I remember, I specifically remember a half marathon from like seven years ago where I was in the lead pack and like the first 5k and I was pumping up the crowd just to get dropped, you know, two miles later. And I was like, yeah, that was uh that was like a hard thing to hear because I was like, man, Josh nailed it. <laughs> yeah. you got, you got it. That's the thing is like, you're almost convincing yourself you're okay. Like by doing these things, you're just like, yeah, yeah. I'm having like, you know, like you were saying, like you're in the top pack. You're 5K in and you, internally, you're probably like, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing here. But like what your external reaction to that is like, it's just, you just got to show it. Like, and that, that it was generally the same in 2022. I've been through it. That's what it was. It's like, I, I did the stupid stuff and I smiled and I was like, I was looking back at people and there was some awesome photos of like my first round of like, just fucking around. Like, what are you doing? Um, but if you're there to do a job and you're fit and you're ready to go, you don't need to do these things. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, I think my best example for that is, is the, uh, the Brooks, uh, Vegas, I want to say the rock and roll marathon series. In Dude, Vegas. that was the exact friggin' race I was talking about really? probably a couple years before you. <laughs> That's so funny. Like 2018, I just signed, I, I'd gotten slightly overweight in the uh off off season and we had a race that brooks had put on at the you know the vegas rock and roll marathon half marathon whatever and they put on a pro mile and you know i was not fit really not fit and um brooks it was all brooks athletes except from like two athletes and one of them was Chez, the best november runner you'll ever find in the world right i was like why have you invited this guy like we were all super unfit but happy with ourselves you know um and so yeah, we had to do a press conference for it we had a little panel and they were i was just trying so much shit and all i could think of in my head was like i'm so not fit right now like garrett came past at like like 600 and started putting putting the absolute race to us and i was just like gone i was i was like i'm having the worst time here um and so that that's a good example for me as well where i was like in that press conference i don't think i've ever talked so much so much shit in a press conference before and i was you could see me i just looked horrible uh and i was not good to go so yeah you learn you learn over the years what what kind of shows that people are fit and what shows that people aren't i i, I can't relate guys i haven't been fitting like six or seven years and i don't feel cocky or confident at all <laughs> <laughs> That's a different issue, Mike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little more. Um, hey, Maya, I think our, our kids are about to to wake up soon, so we don't want to keep you too much longer. But I, I do want to ask you um, 
So I, and I don't want to get into it, but I, I know Danny has kind of alluded to on social media and, and just kind of some of the conversations he had that it's been an exceptionally difficult year for him. And I just wanted to hear from you, like, what was your conversation with Danny like after you won the, after you won gold? So uh, Danny, obviously, yeah, Danny's had one of the hardest years I've ever witnessed anyone having. And I think what shows about what he is as a, as a man is like, he kind of just went like complete zone mode with everything. And like, was super dialed in with training, was super dialed in with being a father, was super dialed in with, you know, everything that, that came with, you know, being a single dad. Um, and that was his priority. And it was just like, everyone on the team went from like, oh, like, you know, my shoes didn't arrive or like my travel budget isn't like, everyone dealt with their own shit. It's like, that's bullshit, deal with it yourself. And everyone was so dialed in. Because we know how how difficult everything was, at that, you know, from from then on, and will continue to be. But you know, Danny's uh, daughter Isla is is so like the, the cutest little girl, and like is so sweet. She can scream though. I'll give her that. She can scream. But he's just been like it's been unbelievable to watch how how he's been able to handle everything, and it's just like you know so much respect. Um, because my training has never been so dialed in. It's like me and him have been like working like clockwork. And um, and so it was just a really special moment to be like, hey, like I know this year sucked, but the work that you've just done, we have something physical for it now. We can, you know, we can like have, you know, this is the highest, you know, we could ever go. And I, I said that to him. I was like, you know, there's nothing I can do to um, – to help really in this situation, all I can do is try and be as easy as I can. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to win you something. And, um, and we did it. And it was like, but it, Danny's not the kind of guy that's like, Danny's not the kind of guy that would be like crying over the phone being like, we did it. Like, let's go. <laughs> uh, like I phoned him. He's obviously the first guy I phoned. I did a lot of like, I had to do a lot of media before I even got my, my, um, my phone. And so I, it was maybe two or three hours later by the time I was able to phone him. Maybe it was like two hours later. Anyway, I phoned him. And uh, I was like, I, I, he answered. I was like, fuck, Danny, like, um, let's go or something like that. And he was like, yeah, man, like, congratulations. That was, that was so awesome. And I was like, I don't feel like I raced it that well, like super well, because I told him how I was going to race it. Um, and, you know, we'd kind of discussed a couple of things and, and he agreed with some things and he didn't, disagreed with some things. Um, and he was just like, yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of things that we need to work on for next year. I think, you know, you were a little, and then we just started discussing like where I went wrong. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I get it. And I, I was also in that mindset as well. Cause it would, I hadn't spoken to anyone real, really, um, you know, other than, so Ray, my agent was there. Um, and when I was on the phone to Danny and I was still like, they were picking my spikes up and taking photos of them and stuff to make sure that they were all by the book and things like that. But yeah, he was just like, and we were just sitting there for five minutes and that's all we were talking about. It's like, okay, if we had just, if we could, you know, you ran 52.77 in the last 400 and you were out in lane two, which means we've done this many more meters. I was like, uh, yeah, no, 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 hundred percent. Yeah, we were wrong here. And, and that's all we really talked about. And I was like, I'm going to have to go, Danny. He's like, okay. I was like, well, enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. you. No, know, there's there's not much I could tell Danny Mackey about this sport. 
But I think if I could teach him how to do anything, it's how to celebrate social, a little social bit. skills. <laughs> social skills. Let's work on the social yeah, skills. Social, um, well, the social. We'll, we'll work on the social skills later. When you win a championship, celebrate the freaking championship. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard him on uh, on his interview with Sis, and he's like, it's just the most Danny things to say. Like, he's like, yeah, you know, um, he was like, oh, how'd you celebrate? Oh, I haven't celebrated yet. You know, I went straight back to work. All stuff. I was like, Danny, you're a coach. And, you know, you have to write plans. And I feel like you could have taken the day off to uh, to enjoy it. And I'm sure he had a couple of beers with, with Jesse and, and stuff but um no he's he's so like uh, methodical in everything that he does and he hardly takes any time to himself to enjoy it um but i think we will this fall just to take you know carve some time out to like appreciate the work that he put in because i mean the man's the man's like so smart he's so switched on with the stuff and like i you know he had a harder job this year than he's ever had because we had two days off in between the heat and the, or the semi and the final so uh it was just like you know you're gonna have to deal with that you do your job i'll do my job and i'll just follow you kind of blindly through this because i don't need to i i shouldn't be needing to think um when it comes to championship stuff and he's very good at that and we've done a lot of time where you know i've been in uh, still in university when I first signed and then like going into Europe and stuff and he's been on the US side so he knows my body super well through a video um, which is absolutely wild some of the stuff that he knows about me just through like watching 100 meter stride is is mind-boggling but um, he was so dialed in with everything that I needed to do and he's been so dialed in with all the beasts uh, all year and we've had such a fantastic year so I, I'm looking forward to forcing him to take the time to appreciate his hard work but again, yes, I wouldn't be here without him. And, and he knows uh, how much that he's done for me as well. I don't even know if you realized you were doing this, Josh, but when you were talking about the race and, and the tactics and all that stuff, you kept saying, we could have done this, or if we had come through in a 52, whatever. Uh, and, and to me, that's like fascinating because the only other sport where you hear that is like golf with caddies, right? They, they often say, oh, we <laughs> did this, we did that. And you're not talking about like the training plan. You're talking about the the physical running of the race. And you kept referring to it uh, as we, which is like, I, I don't know. I think it says a lot about you and your relationship with Danny and, and the impact he has. Another thing I, I, I noticed you did there is you gave him his flowers, right? You shit on him for, for a minute or two. And then you come back around and you give him his flowers one time. But Steve and I were just recently talking about it too. It's like, it's a tale as old as time, right? Of athletes making fun of their coaches and making fun of their coaches right to their, their face. But I, I, I do think that that's like a wildly and kind of weirdly important relationship to have with your coach, right? To be able to make fun of him right to his face. And, and, and Steve's asking you like a serious question. You're making fun of his, his personal skills. Uh, I don't know. Like I, to me, it's like those two things. It's like, well, okay. I understand why this works, right? Like you got this great relationship with your coach and you're able to, to shit on them. And that, that's why it all makes sense. That's why it all works out. Yeah. You know, the classic shit sandwich is, is, is what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. um, but to be honest, I think it just means that he know like the relationship that I have had with every one of my coaches and him, especially because we've been working together for so long is that he knows me really well as a person. Like he knows my family really well. Like he, you know, when he presented my contract, he presented it to my parents and he knows my brother and he knows my personality. He knows my fiance. And like, 
it's just when he's right in the training, he takes everything into consideration. Like it's not just like, okay, this person's ability on the track is this. It's like, okay, well, Josh is um, in Albuquerque or Josh is in Seattle or Josh is in um, Europe or like Matt. Like, so we need to write the training for this because he's going to be doing this. Like this is the lifestyle he has in that place. Like, you know, he's going to do early mornings here. He's going to do an evening run here. Like that's the way he knows me super well now where he's able to write the training and be like, okay, you need to not do this, this session at this time. You need it at this time. And like, make sure you get gym in because it's going to be difficult to find those facilities. Like, so when I'm on the road, he knows me so well that like, he's able to write the training specific to me. Um, not as an athlete, but as a person as well. And that's what makes, that's what I think makes a big difference, but he's just, he knows the science really well, but he makes it, he makes it very personal to the athlete. And I think, I think that's what the big differences are. And, you know, again, like I was saying, it's just not an overnight success. We've been working together for so long. Um, and I've been in the sport for a very, very long time. And so I know myself very well, but I, I mean, I just don't, I don't see why athletes now in college aren't looking, aren't looking at the professional scene and being like, like where where can I go to go and get better in a with a brand that's elevating themselves every year and making fantastic product alongside uh you know a group and a coach that is honest hardworking and finds results and like I I'm looking forward to the announcing of some of the signings that we have this year uh, and I think that's going to be long to continue because it's been you know I think this this team's been 13 years or 14 years something like that and we're finally getting to a spot now where we're attracting the big names without having to have a big, big price tag with it. Um, but that hasn't been with it, you know, you know, it's been a long road, but I think it came because, or it's coming now because of honest hard work over many, many years. It's not flashy. We're going to put a ton of money into it. And like, we're just going to get the athletes straight up. It's like, you know, the coaching's always been there. The brand's always been there. It's just, we haven't had, you know, the, the money to flash people into the brand um because i don't think it's an honest way of working like you don't need to pay people 2x what they're worth because i don't think that ever ends up good either but yeah I i'm very excited to see where this takes the team and the brand as well for sure man um yeah well we'll uh i know we know you got a tea time so uh we'll uh we'll we'll, we'll uh we'll wrap it up here but uh i just you know i want to end it by saying thank you thank you for uh kind of making the time to to talk with us it's it's really great to see you it's really great to to talk with you um and just i'll say one more time congratulations man this is uh it's an incredible accomplishment and uh, uh we're really looking forward to it. and i'm sure the whole two crew all the listeners are really looking forward to see what else is in store for your career it's been a it's been a wild ride man I really appreciate you guys. All right. Thanks again to our guy, Josh Kerr, for coming on the podcast with us. Uh, I know he said he said in the interview he has, um, uh, you know, the next Olympics circled on the calendar since he was like 10 years old. So hopefully there's uh there's more great races to come in his career and we get to have him on again. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Steve, I just hope the next time we have him on, we can have a, a normal time and not, you know, the, the crack of dawn, but whenever Josh wants to come on the podcast, he's, he's welcome. Even if it's 5am. I can't believe we didn't talk about that on the intro uh, into the interview, but just to kind of give a little context, and I think we talked about it in the interview, but uh, we did that interview at 5.30 a.m. 
Um, I think Josh talked about that. He's, he's been an early riser lately and Hey, Mike and I, with, with all of our, with our busy schedule, we're early risers as well. But Mike, it gave me flashbacks to uh, Doha 2019, waking up at four in the morning to interview our guy, Craig Engels. So um, yeah, that was a, that was a true throwback. That was, that was a wild time for the podcast. That was when the grind was incredibly real. We were doing the weekly shows still. And during Doha, it wasn't just Craig, too. Like, we did multiple. I think we did Andy Bear. We had the lost Annie Coons episode all before, like, episode. Oh my all before like 5.30 in the morning. We were crushing, like, I think in one week, we might have done, like, three episodes or, or three interviews at, like, 5 in the morning before work. And I think, you know we we just just made it happen that was when we were kind of like banking interviews and we'd spread them out throughout the the next couple of months but it was just like when they're in doha and if we can get them whatever if we have to do three or four interviews in a week we'll do it at, at five in the morning so yeah it's big time that throwback. Was, yeah you want to you want to know how to build a podcast it's it's 5 a.m interviews banking them one after another so yep. um yeah that was that was a ton of fun so Mike, we had uh, just, you know, quickly to wrap up the podcast here. Uh, we had Berlin this weekend. We did. We had uh, the return of Kipchoge. Now he comes and gets smoked in Boston, heads back to Berlin, gets his fifth win, Steve, in 202, running fast again. Um, don't love it. Don't love it. it. It just doesn't bode well. I will say, I don't know if you saw the clip of him, dancing in the the club after getting the the whole the whole crowd going that was nice although i will say it wasn't like a clip of him like in the club dancing he was up with the dj and it looked a little forced so uh, i still think it's all in all this win at 202 is still a l for kipchoge because it just makes me feel more angry about boston i mean i'm at the point where i'm lumping all the berlin yeah it's, it's all the same it's all the same. Like you can keep going there and and running. It's great, Kipchoge. Like I'm happy for you. And you know, I celebrate. And you know, let's let's put another win on your win on your uh, your your running resume. But to me, in my head, it's just all the same one. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, Kipchoge. But then in bigger news, and I clearly should have led with this, but Asefa with a two eleven fifty three dominates. The world record. What was the world record before? It was like two fourteen or something. I think. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Cause guys two fourteen. So breaking the world record by like two and a half minutes. Two eleven is so goddamn fast. We're not in the business of accusations, Mike, but I did see a tweet uh, that said she dropped twenty five minutes from her marathon PR. Ah, Steve, in less than eighteen months. It was a good training cycle. It was a good training cycle. Good okay. tra- it was a good year of training. Oh my god! So, <laughs> well, hey, hopefully, you know, I mean, I'm coming up, uh, uh, you know, just about a little less than a year removed from my last marathon, and I'm hoping to drop twenty five. Twenty five, yeah, hey, twenty five minutes. Listen, I'm at a point in my life where if getting accused of being on performance enhancing drugs ever happens, that just being accused would be a huge win for me. So, Actually, Steve, you probably will drop 20 minutes yeah i mean in, in theory you bad. should drop 20 minutes from your last marathon i would think goal is to drop exactly 25 minutes okay yeah. so so when and if that happens i will be the first one to 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 in uh fairness 
to Asefa that you made that accusation to her. I didn't I... make any accusations. I said people are saying. People are saying there's a big difference. Okay. I'm just saying I will be the first person to say that people are saying if you if you if you go 25 minutes below your last marathon. Just saying. <laughs> All right, let's uh let's kick off the bell lap. Well, Steve, that was my bell lap. Um, but I'm sure I can come up with some kind of some kind of Boston sports story. So go ahead, give give me the give me the words. Mike, what do you got for people on the bell lap? Well, the Patriots won, Steve. Um it was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible game that we won. It was we've had three games. We played two games that I thought were good games that we lost, and then I thought we played a horrible game that we won. So I don't know. I don't know what to do with all that. Yeah. So I I I used my bell lap already. We were talking a little Taylor Swift and uh, Kelsey, um, but uh, I will say I ran the Lone Gull 10K this past weekend. You know, kind of a little bit of a rust buster for any any speed uh, in my legs because I've been training for the marathon. Little last tune up a few weeks out from the from the marathon. So. You know, I didn't run a blazing fast time, but I ran a time I'm pretty happy with. Um, but after the race, uh, uh, Mo- I talked to Molly Huddle. She was there. She ran. She won the women's. Um, so I had a nice little conversation uh, with her and, you know, maybe a future friend of the program. So maybe we'll get her on soon. So Love that. Other than that, Mike, I would have run faster, but I peaked too early. Mike, hit me with the Josie. Josie's on a vacation for a Do anything.